Uh, there are two Bible readings this morning. The first one is from Psalm 119, verses, 100, verses 129 to 136, found on page 499 of the Church Blue Bibles uh, in your leaflets, or you can follow along on the screen. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do, to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from, from human oppression, that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine on your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. The second reading comes from Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, which can be found on the screen, again in your leaflets or on page 965 of the Church Bible. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again for the third time. Good to see you all. As uh, Kez has uh, let you know, if you didn't know already, the end is coming December 3 is approaching, and I don't know for you, uh, for me, it's, it's a bit of a time of reflection. It's a bit of a time of looking back and thinking about what has been, but it's also a time of looking forward, time of anticipation, a time of thinking about what is the next stage in Trinity Hills' life. And so, as I thought about this last little series before December 3... I thought, what would be a really good uh, talking point? What would be a really good conversation partner from Scripture, from God's Word, to help us all to reflect on what has been and what will be? And so I chose the book of Titus. Uh, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to one of his offsiders. It's written about 60, in the early 60s AD, so about 30 years, about three decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the Roman Empire has started to be impacted by Christianity as it is spreading far and wide. It's a personal letter written from the great apostle to a church leader at a time of transition in the churches that this man, Titus, was overseeing. He'd been planting churches in Crete, the little island in the middle of the Mediterranean, and it was time for the next phase. The church had been planted, it had started to grow, now it really needed to be established. 
these young Christians needed to be nurtured into maturity. And Paul presents the essential centrality of the church in that process. So I actually thought it would be a very helpful thing to work our way through the book of Titus as we reflect on what has been and what is coming. To mix it up a bit this morning, I've got six points for you, okay? And they don't all start with the same letter. I tried really hard. We've got the man, we've got the mission, we've got the method, three M's. Then I went to F's, the foundation, the fruit, and the last one, holding out hope, okay? So, sorry, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get it. But anyway, the man. The Apostle Paul is a figure of history. When I looked on the web, uh, the Time magazine top 100 most significant figures in history, Jesus is number one, the Apostle Paul comes in at 34, okay? But this is the entire history of, the, of human civilization. So we are looking at the personal letter of the 34th most influential person in history. Pretty big thing. He was a Jew, raised as a Pharisee, one of the strictest sects of Judaism. And in his early days, he hated Christians with a passion. The Bible records a situation where he's standing by when one of the early Christian leaders, Stephen, is stoned to death and he is giving approval. He then goes to the chief priests and seeks authorization to take persecution of Christians beyond Jerusalem out into the surrounding countryside. Paul hated Christians. And then he became one of their most significant leaders. It kind of freaked the early church out. We read it in Galatians, where Paul has become a Christian and he goes back to Jerusalem, but they're kind of a bit afraid of him. And they has to be sort of ushered in to their presence. Uh, you can imagine what was actually going on. No, 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 he's really, he's really, we have to be really careful that this wasn't some trick to catch the early Christian leaders out. Paul had become a Christian, but not just a Christian. He had been commissioned as a leader, as a missionary, as an evangelist, as a church planter, as a pastor. All happened because he met the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road. He was travelling up to Damascus to take the Christians there into custody, to bring them to trial back in Jerusalem. And Jesus confronted him, struck him blind, met him there on the road and transformed his life. And so some 30-odd years later, here he is writing as a Christian leader to one of his offsiders. He introduces himself to Titus, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're familiar with uh, the New Testament, the word that's often translated servant actually is the, the Greek word for a slave. In North America, because of their, uh, their history of race-based slavery, uh, a few cultural things mean that they tend to translate this word servant rather than slave because what happened in North America and Roman uh, slavery were somewhat different. You can read about this, you can find out more if you want, just ask Mr Google, he'll tell you, I'm sure. 
Um, but what we need to understand, Paul's not saying here he's a person who's seeking employment. He's actually saying he is owned by God. He is obedient to God. He is possessed by God in that very real sense of he is God's property. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? Paul, slave of God. But when you realise that the alternate is not freedom, but being slave of something else, you realise that this is a wonderful blessing. The opposite of being God's slave is not to be free, it's actually to be a slave to sin, a slave to death, a slave to false gods. Because as, as people, as human beings, we were fundamentally made to be in relationship with our maker. That is core for us. And our nature means that we always serve something. We always have something on the throne. And Paul here is saying he is a slave of the one master whose service is true freedom. It's not an absence of constraint. It's having the right constraints. I've used this illustration before, but forgive me. The fish out of water is not free. The fish in the water, constrained to live in that environment, that is where the fish is free. Paul, slave of God, is truly free in the service of the one he was made for. But he's not just a slave of God. He introduces himself as an apostle. Now, apostle just means one that is sent. A messenger, an emissary, an ambassador. And Paul had been commissioned by the Lord Jesus as his apostle. Acts 9. The Lord speaks to Ananias, a Christian in Damascus, when he sends him to pray for Paul, who's been struck blind at this point. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul is commissioned, commissioned by the Lord Jesus as his apostle. He's a man on a mission. A mission that saw him preaching throughout the Roman Empire. You read through the book of Acts. He starts in the Middle East. He works up into what we see as Turkey. He goes across into northern Greece, the Macedonia kind of region, comes down into Greece. He goes across eventually into Rome, up into sort of what we understand as Yugoslavia, what the former Yugoslavia, you know, the Balkan states, down into Crete. He spreads the message of Jesus Christ over the Roman Empire. This man commissioned, this one sent by Jesus as his apostle, spreads the word of God over the Roman Empire. Why? He's got it there in the second half of verse 1. His aim is to further the faith of God's elect, God's chosen people, and their knowledge of their truth, of the truth that leads to godliness. Paul's mission, the mission that Jesus has sent him on, has a particular goal. His goal is to see people come to faith and grow in faith. His goal is to provoke people to see that the gods that they serve are no gods. 
that the slavery that they have is a slavery to sin and death, and he offers them hope in Christ. He offers them faith. He presents Christ. He presents God and his purposes and encourages them to put their trust in the one true God. It is for faith that Paul is working. He is motivated by that. That is his aim. His goal is to see people come to faith, but not just come to faith, grow in faith. You see, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. It's not just the beginning of the Christian life that he's talking about. As we sung in the kids' talk, the gospel, we live in it, we love in it, we grow in it, we do lots of other things that I've forgotten in it. Um, The one I liked was we fall in a heap in it. Uh, That was one of my favourite ones there. But that's the thing, the gospel that Paul proclaimed this message that he was on a mission for, that was to provoke faith in God to see people come to a knowledge of truth. Truth about God, who God is, what He's like. Truth about themselves and their desperate need. And truth about reality so that they might live a life, Paul says here, of godliness. Now the word godliness, we kind of think of it in, it's a bit of a Sounds really trite, doesn't it? A bit pious, you know? Ooh, godliness. Um, What it is, what it actually means is a life that God has actually made you to live. This is the life that God designed for you. This is the way we were meant to be. As Paul has already told us, this is true freedom that we find in service to God. So Paul basically wants to present the gospel that gives us faith and knowledge about how life is actually best lived, how life is truly lived, how blessing is truly found. The knowledge that Paul presents is not some abstract theory. I, um, I studied maths at uni um, which may surprise you if, ever, if you've ever seen me try to help my um, teenage maths students. Um, I had, a, I had a, a maths teacher by the name of Boris Karloff, which would be quite funny because some of you know that's an act, he's an actor. He wasn't, the maths teacher wasn't the actor, but uh, I think he was in Frankenstein or something like that. But Boris Karloff, he never spoke to us as a class. He used to come in, in one of these old lecture theatres, sloping, with the, the nine chalkboards. Do you remember these? And he used to come in, pull down the first one, start writing. Up, next, 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 work through the nine, go back. And he just used to write for an hour. And then he'd walk out. And he was just there going, I found maths really, really hard. Not because I struggled necessarily with the concepts. But Why? Why do I need to know how to do these things? What is, what is, what is, why, why is the square root of minus one I or whatever? Like, I, I don't know. That connection between the knowledge and life didn't work for me. And so I, I really struggled. Sometimes we can treat our Christian faith and not see the connection between knowledge of the truth and the godly life that flows from it. And we can kind of think, 
I can learn all this stuff, but knowledge in the biblical sense, knowledge in the Christian sense, essentially is practical. So when you walk out of here Sunday by Sunday, what you should be doing is thinking about what have I learnt about God, myself, life in this world, and how do I put this into practice? This is actually what your morning tea time is designed for. You know, it's great to hear about what the kids are doing. It's great to hear about what works life and just catch up and that sort of stuff. But really, the best things you can actually have a conversation about is how that works out, what we've just learned, what we've just seen, how it works out in life. It gave me such joy that one of our uh, brothers last week after John's sermon, afterwards I walk out and what he wants to talk to me about is what he's been challenged with out of God's Word. That's what it should be every week, that we sit down and see this knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. A preacher can only apply in a few different directions. You need to do the hard work in prayerful dependence upon God's Spirit, engaging with what you've learnt to see that life that you live more in line with truth. Let's keep moving. The man, the mission, what's his method? Well, God sent him on a mission to achieve something that he is doing. What's God doing? Well, Ephesians 1 verse 10 tells us that God's big plan is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, to get everything lining up under the Lordship of Christ. How does he do this? Well, Colossians, another one of Paul's letters, tells us that through Christ, God's reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How is this Lordship of Christ over all things going to be established? Through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So what role does Paul play? Paul tells us in verse 3 that at the appointed season, the right time now for Paul, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of our God and Saviour. We don't need to do God's work. God has done the work. We need to announce that the work is done. We need to tell people what God has done and what they need to do in response. And that is what Paul, that's his mission. And so he went around the ancient Roman Empire announcing the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the Lordship of Christ, and the life that can be found through faith in him. Essential, essential to Paul's work was the preaching of the gospel. Now, I was um, drawn, my attention during the week was drawn to uh, some Christian comedians. I don't know if you see these guys, sometimes they cut a little bit close to the bone. Uh, and I, I watched one where it's called um, Church Hunters. Has anyone seen Church Hunters? It's like house hunters, it's kind of built on the same thing and, and as a couple, it's a young, edgy couple and what they're looking for in a church and so forth and at one point they're reflecting on the preaching and, uh, and, and one guy, the guy says uh, he didn't like it because he kind of went away feeling a bit convicted 
Uh, we want something more like a TED Talk with a Bible verse. And as a preacher, sometimes you go, oh, wow. But we do live in a culture, and I'm not saying this necessarily of you, we do live in a culture that so often tends to focus on style over substance. We want someone who really excites us and engages us. But someone who works through Scripture maybe doesn't do that. So what is it that you're looking for? Because Paul, Paul didn't give a TED talk with a Scripture verse. Paul proclaimed the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He proclaimed the great acts of God and he spoke it from God's word. Where is power? It's not in the style or the winsomeness of the preacher. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That is what Paul wrote, that is what Paul preached. That is where the method is. Paul's mission is one that is conducted through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And it's not just words. It's words that are the power of God for salvation. Which brings us to that foundation. Let's go back to... You notice I've jumped over verse 2. The faith, the knowledge, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised from before the beginning of time. Paul tells us that our faith, our knowledge, is not just pie-in-the-sky sort of stuff. It is actually based on the certainty of hope. Hope in, in the Bible is not wishful thinking. I hope it'll be fine this afternoon because I've got a picnic planned. Well, it might be, it might not be. Hope, hope in the Bible is certain expectation. It's kind of like when you went on a car trip as a kid and your parents, Mum and Dad, where are we going? Oh, we're going to go to Brisbane. Okay, we used to do that drive, Sydney-Brisbane, all the time. Um, after a while, you kind of learnt the way, but initially you had no idea all the places you went and the directions you went, whether you went the New England Highway or the, or the Pacific Highway or, or whatever. But you knew the destination. The destination was sure. That is Christian hope. We know the destination. We don't know the paths that God will actually take us to get there. But Paul is saying our faith and our knowledge is sure because our hope is certain. And then he backs it up. Because our hope is certain because God does not lie. He's made a promise. A promise before the beginning of time and he does not lie. God is not going to lead you up the garden path. God does not lie. He has promised that those who have faith in Him through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with Him in eternity. That is His promise and He does not lie. If you've ever asked me something on Sunday about something not related to Sunday, I have a fairly standard answer because I know my very human limitation. My standard answer, send me an email. Okay, I will forget. God does not forget. 
God does not fail to deliver. God does not overpromise. God fulfills his promises. He is completely trustworthy. It is 100% guaranteed. Why? Because here he's saying it was promised before the beginning of time. Now, this should actually blow our mind. If you are a Christian here this morning, it's because God knew you and chose you before the beginning of time. Why you? That's his choice, his sovereign choice, not because he knew you'd be a wonderful addition. No. His sovereign choice is that he chose you in Christ before the beginning of time. If you think maybe I'm overstating, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Here's something to think about over morning tea. He chose you in Christ for adoption to sonship. Jesus dying and rising is not plan B. Oops, everything went wrong in Eden. I better set things right. Jesus' death and resurrection is plan A. Why does God create intending that his son will go to the cross? The only answers I can give to that is kind of like, why do you climb a mountain? The view is much better from the top. The glory and the majesty and the wonder and the power and the infinite wisdom of God is better displayed as the gospel is portrayed before us than merely seeing God in creation. We, this side of the cross, see God as both creator and redeemer, as our heavenly father whose love is displayed so vividly. And he chose this path, this path to display his glory and to bless us before creation before time began he chose us he set the whole plan in motion and he does not lie well what do we see let's keep going in titus the fruit what is he promising us well we get a glimpse of it here we'll see more of this as we unpack the rest of the book what is the fruit we see here, to Titus, my true son, can I, if you, I don't know if you're in the habit of making notes in your Bible, literally this is a true child, not my true son, a true child, in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. Paul is greeting Titus. And he's reminding him of the blessings that are his in Christ. That he is a true son, a true child. If you know anything about Titus, Titus was a Greek. If you read the book of Titus, some Jewish Christians are giving him a bit of a hard time. Paul counteracts, he speaks against the Jewish myths. Galatians tells us that Titus 
wasn't circumcised. There's a bit of personal information that you want to be jotted down in all time for Scripture, wouldn't it? Hey, Titus, I understand. Yeah, no, sorry, let's not go there. But there it is. And here we have the uncircumcised Greek who is a true child by adoption because of the promise of God. A true child of God. A child that can say, Father. A child that can look at the Lord Jesus and say, Brother, son and heir with Christ. That's a fruit of the gospel. What else? The unity, this common faith that binds us all together, that bound the Greek Titus to the Jewish Paul, because what divided them was nowhere near as strong as what brought them together. Because the Christian gospel, the Christian gospel gives us a radical equality before God. We are all sinners in need of grace. Doesn't matter what race, doesn't want to matter what education, doesn't matter what gender, doesn't matter anything. The gospel levels humanity. That is why we can call each other brother and sister. That is why we have this radical equality before God that gives us a radical unity. Because what lifts us up is our common faith in Christ. And if our faith is in Christ, what ties us together is stronger than what divides us. As I think about Trinity Hills, like any church, we're not perfect. Like any church, there are little niggles, there are little issues that come up. But what unites us must be stronger because it is Christ that unites us. It is the Spirit that indwells us, that binds us to Him and to one another. So as you go on in the years to come, as those little issues continue to emerge, which they will, because that's, that's life, this, time, this side of eternity, remember that what binds you together is God's love for you in Christ. His gift of the Spirit that means this is your brother and your sister. The unity you have through the common faith in Christ. Paul greets them again. Paul greets Titus. Two great reminders. Grace, undeserved favour. Peace, Blessing, wholeness, completeness, rest. They are ours from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. Such a rich introduction. Four verses. So much that we can talk about. So much that we could talk about. But the thing I want you to think about as you leave here this morning, it would be easy to say, that's just Paul. You know, Vision, Damascus Road, Cameron, you told us. He was commissioned by the Lord Jesus to be an apostle. Brother, sister, we as a church, all Christians everywhere have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus with the same mission, with the same method, 
to actually proclaim Christ. The church is not an institution. The church is a body of people and each of us together own that responsibility. It's not something that you delegate to staff. It's not that it's just the the leadership team. It's not just their responsibility. As we are together, Christ's people, we are his ambassadors sent into the world. The leaders have roles to play, yes. But every Christian shares that task. Do we see this? I wonder, as I've been thinking, one of the challenges, and it's a challenge that I share, so this is me standing alongside you, not standing above you, pointing a finger, so don't hear that. I wonder whether here in the hills, here in Adelaide, we are are just too comfortable. We look at our faith as a lifestyle choice rather than the fact that there are people drowning and we have the life preserver. There are people under the judgment of God and we have the gospel that if they put their trust in God through faith in Christ, they can avoid an eternity cut off from him, an eternity under his judgment. Do we see this? Do we see this? Paul spent his life walking the Roman Empire preaching Christ. Why? Because he was holding out the words of eternal life. He was not ashamed of the gospel. It was the power of God for salvation. And God used him and others like him to change the history of the world and the fate of so many. We are here today, if you are a Christian person, because someone didn't palm off the responsibility to proclaim Christ. Someone spoke to you of the Lord Jesus and God through his spirit brought you to faith in him through the gospel. As we think about the future of Trinity Hills. Do you see that you hold out not a lifestyle option, not a religious experience, but the very words of eternal life? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be opening our eyes to the wonder that you have given us in Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would be at work in us, convicting us when we treat that too lightly. Lord, we ask that you would give us a passion like Paul displayed, that we might see others come to know and come to grow in Christ. Lord, forgive us for where we have been distracted, afraid, complacent, concerned with our own agendas rather than the wonderful mission that you have given your people. Father, as we go forward as your people, 
We pray, Lord, that we would see you work wonders in us and through us. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.